Hello and welcome to a new podcast with Nordia Thematics. I am Johan Trokme and with me here in the studio is Victor Sonebeck. Good to be here, Victor. And as we usually say, good to be back. And the topic today is not a Nordia on your mind report, but our annual treasury study, which is now out. And uh, yeah, we've been doing these uh, kinds of treasury studies uh, since uh, 2014. And uh, I guess you could say the interesting thing with these is that it's a different theme every year and it varies quite a bit uh, what we look into and this year of course we've had to focus on our uh, corporate clients exposures to China and to of course Russia and what we've looked at is the changes to global supply chains uh, we've also looked at how they view key risk concerns and also how commodity effects and interest rate risks are managed so I guess you could summarize it as you know looking at what are the key questions uh, for our corporate clients and, and how do they they manage them indeed there have been plenty of potential questions to consider in today's eventful world around us. One thing that we really love about this annual treasury study is that our large corporate clients are co-creating it with us since they are responding in our online questionnaire. And the answers that we get are the basis of the analysis in the study each time and the findings that we present. And this year we've had 160 large corporates from all four Nordic countries participating, which is obviously great. Always happy to see such a high participation. The one thing that we've done in the survey as well is to ask similar questions as we did in a large hedging survey in 2016. Uh, so what we've done is to then compare these questions to to focus on how has the hedging behavior among our clients uh, changed uh, over the years and, and what trends can we see. And we'll get back to that shortly. But if we start with the situation with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the exposure that large corporates here in the Nordic region have to the affected countries, it's a bit less than half of those 160 companies who have what they say is a meaningful exposure to Russia, Belarus and Ukraine. Two-thirds have a low share of their revenues from there and one-third have a low share of their sourcing there. So the overall exposure is not huge. The key headaches that they highlight are payments and sanctions, which I guess is not a huge surprise. So that's what they're dealing with from a practical point of view. And looking at what they intend to do about the situation and the exposure that they do have, the overwhelming majority, 94% of them in fact, are saying that they're either going to suspend, freeze their business in, in those three countries, or that they will exit. And taking a, a more more of a helicopter perspective, what we've focused on as well is, as we mentioned, looking at, at uh, risk management concerns for, uh, for these corporates. And looking at what are the key uh, concerns currently. And and, uh, just uh, summarily, we can say that that, uh, one of the absolute key concerns is inflation. Inflation here is is then followed by commodities and interest rate risks. So so these three topics or these three three areas have soared to the top of the agenda uh, in terms of risk management. Uh, We do see that that FX and and funding and interest rate risks are, you know, the the evergreens that that always are up high on the radar screen. But uh, as I mentioned, this year, of course, they have been passed by by inflation concerns and commodity risks. And deglobalization has been something I think most of us have seen in the flow in the media for some time. And having heard a lot about it for several years, uh, maybe starting with Trump's presidency in, in the US and the sort of trade war that he launched uh, with China since becoming president in, in, in early 2017. This is something that we felt very, very natural and important to ask about in, in this year's Treasury study. We asked the corporates if their supply chains have changed in the last few years. I mean, we've seen a trend of globalization of supply chains for corporates for two decades. But we've asked about the the last few years. And 
what they said in the study here is that 20 to 30 percent of them have indeed seen changes to their supply chains in the past few years. And those changes have been a continuation of the two decade long trend that they have further globalized their supply chains if we look back to the past few years. As with most questions, uh, the, perhaps the most interesting thing here is, of course, to ask why. So, so what have been the key drivers behind, behind the decisions uh, for, for supply chains becoming more globalized? And the, the clear top driver historically has been unit cost. So, so globalization has, uh, as I'm sure everyone has, has been largely aware of, uh, been a tool for companies to, to lower their unit costs, simply put. Uh, as you all mentioned, this has been a continuing trend. So, so companies have, have continued uh, to push for, for, for this. And, uh, of course, correspondingly, you know, concerns about disruption or, or, or tariffs or sanctions and, and similar things have been at the bottom list of drivers when it comes to, to historical supply chain decisions. And boy, has this changed. For sure. When we asked about how companies expect their supply chains to change in the next three years, so what they will look like by 2025... Between one-third and half of these 160 companies say that they expect changes across the board to their supply chains. They expect them to become clearly more local, so a complete reversal of what we have seen for the past 20 or so years. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a very clear trend and that we can see in the data. And I guess you could say that one of our biggest surprises, actually by, by far in the study, is that the, the number one driver for this localization or this deglobalization of supply chains, companies say is sustainability. So sustainability has gone from being kind of in the periphery in terms of, of you know, historical supply chain decisions to actually being number one. Uh, unit cost is, of course, still important, but it's, it's actually down uh, in, in fourth place. And above it, uh, we now see things such as disruption, vulnerability, uh, and actually availability. So, so availability in your supply chain, availability of commodities or other input uh, variables in your production. I think it's fair to say that there's been a, a sea change in the, the way companies view their supply chains. Instead of this long-lasting trend of chasing the lowest cost for their sourcing around the world, disruption from the COVID pandemic and, and from now more recently sanctions related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made it very apparent to most of the companies that supply chains can be very vulnerable to various forms of uh, disruptions. And therefore, they are now, as we can see, prioritizing more highly the ability to secure supply. And it has also started to matter, as you mentioned, regarding the importance of sustainability, matter hugely with whom you trade. And that's both from a governance point of view and, and from a social point of view, as well as the environmental footprint of long distances to transport goods and, well, the whole profile of the environmental aspects of how it's manufactured. Typically, we say a few times in the thematics team when we do different studies that, that when things are, are working, they, they keep working and, and no one really bats an eye or, or looks more specifically at certain problems until they arise. And, and you know, when we have, as you mentioned, the, the COVID pandemic and now the war in, in, in Ukraine, suddenly a lot of different things that might not have been on the agenda, such as, you know, availability in the supply chain or other factors and uh, they, they soar to the absolute top and, and it's you know it, it becomes more evident that some part parts of one supply chain might be much more vulnerable than you first might have thought uh, and going further into that uh, we, we did ask in the survey and, and have looked at uh, you know how companies view uh, their exposure to China, or first of all, if they have an exposure, but then also how they, they, they view this uh, exposure. And just uh, simply put, half of the companies that we've asked in the survey 
they have some kind of exposure exposure in the sh- supply chain uh, to China, and the, this exposure is, is typically significant. So split roughly between one third being a minor exposure, one third being a moderate ex- exposure, and one third being a major exposure. And when it comes to the type of exposure that corporates typically have, uh, it's about manufacturing and, and sourcing. So exports to China, it's it's, it's a bit further down the list, and most important parts uh, is, is the, the manufacturing aspects. Really fascinating to see. We were certainly surprised that the top concern that these large corporates in the Nordic region today feel about their Chinese exposure is ESG. So sustainability plays in again. So there are other risks. Business and macro risks are number two on the sort of ranking list and and political risks in China are number three. Um, So it's, it's also very noteworthy that those might not have been perceived as huge potential problems a few years ago, but are at the moment clearly seen as major risks. They're not that far below ESG, but ESG is at the very top. And the other two, the number two and number three risks, are perceived by the companies as between moderate and major concerns. So still very significant. So China, in a nutshell, I guess you could say, is is no longer only about potential growth exposure and and, and fantastic business opportunities, but has started to become, from a perception point of view, a lot about potential disappointments and some pretty serious risks. Notable that, that, uh, you know, for the the different topics that we asked about, so the different sources of risk, the typical answer was actually quite high. So, so, So regardless of what we're looking at, if it's, you know, sustainability or business risk or political risk, etc., there are quite a bit of concern. And then again, I mean, we were, I guess, surprised to see it as clearly as we did in the answers, um, but I guess also not surprised uh, or too surprised overall, given the, the heavy trend in sustainability focus for corporates. But just seeing that, you know, ESG factors are at the top of the agenda, uh, it's, it's uh, quite interesting and quite a change, um, just looking back a few years. Indeed. And moving from uh, one interesting topic, one interesting part of, of uh, the survey, into another, and I guess you could call it a sizzling hot topic, uh, we have also looked at energy and raw material exposures. And uh, simply put, electricity is, is uh, by a wide margin uh, the number one exposure and the number one concern. Uh, for for corporates, shocker, uh, shocker for sure, uh, pun intended, I guess. Uh, so next on the list, on uh, in terms of of most important exposures, uh, we find uh, things such as steel, gas, and, and petrol. And what we've also done here, as I mentioned before, is to look at how are companies hedging, how are they trying to mitigate the exposures uh, that they have or, or the exposure risks. Uh, and here we see that roughly forty percent of companies uh, hedge their energy exposures. Uh, and and this uh, same figure for for raw material exposure is about twenty. I can just mention here that this is so far only a slight increase in hedging since uh, we last asked uh, this question in 2016. And getting back to another sizzling hot topic, inflation, you mentioned earlier that um, this is the, the key risk on a sort of general level that the large corporates see right now. We of course wanted to see what are they doing about it? What do they feel they can actually do to deal with the inflation, the cost inflation that they face? So we asked the companies to what degree are they able to pass on the cost increases that they face? to their own customers and really really interestingly a big majority 84 percent of these companies are saying that they are able to at least some extent to pass on their own cost increases to the customers so i guess the conclusion from that would be that judging from this the burden carried by us households and consumers when it comes to inflation would probably be greater than what will need to be absorbed by the companies so, so companies are of course affected uh, but perhaps not as, as hugely in the end 
uh, as one might have thought. But getting back to hedging, how do companies hedge FX today then? Uh, yeah, so, so it's uh, quite interesting. We, we've asked a few questions here about how corporates hedge FX uh, and again comparing to, to the results that we had in the 2016 uh, survey. And just very roughly, uh, about 10 to 60%. I mean, it's, it's a wide margin, but between those figures uh, is, is where, where the hedging ratio lies for forecasted operating cash flow and, and for, for uh, corporate debt. Uh, and least hedging uh, that we find is within uh, equity and, and translation exposure. We also see that fewer companies actually hedge their FX risks now than they did in, in 2016. And typically what we see is that they hedge a lower share of their short-term flows, uh, but a higher share of, of uh, long-term flows uh, compared to what they did. And I, I guess the interesting part here is, of course, to look at you know the trends that we are seeing within the FX space. So what is happening here? Like, why are companies hedging, as we say, less now than they did in 2016? But it's not really that simple, is it, Yuan? It's not just you know hedging going down across the board, right? No, it's not. And 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 also, I think to be fair, that the time, the points in time matter. In that we've asked in 2016, we've asked now again in 2022, and things are happening in between there as well. So I think really, to be fair, interest in an activity in hedging, as far as we know from our colleagues in our markets business at Nordea, has increased in the past year or two as well, now that we've had volatility, among other things, from the COVID pandemic. But to try and be a little more clear as well and help understand what companies are doing, adding a little color to what you just described, one way to describe it from the findings in our study is that 70% of companies hedge their forecast FX flows out to about a 12-month horizon, at least to some extent. So that's 70% of the companies out to uh, 12 months. 50% of companies hedge, to some extent, their anticipated FX flows on the 12- to 24-month horizon, and 35% hedge anticipated FX flows on the 24- to 36-month horizon. So overall, you can say that the further out in time those flows that you expect are, the lower share of them you hedge in advance, which is, of course, natural given that the level of visibility or confidence that they would actually materialize goes down the further out in time they are. And this overall pattern is similar to what we saw in 2016, but the curve, if you want to call it that, has become a bit flatter. So that compared with 2016, these large corporates are today hedging a bit more of those flows which are long-term, and they're hedging a little bit of a lower share of the anticipated flows for the shorter term. And and going back to uh, to the comparison between 2016 and, uh, and now, and the trend that we are currently seeing, you could quite clearly state that there has been a reaction from what, from the events in the past year. So from a COVID shock, but perhaps most notably from uh, the, the increased volatility in FX markets and, and the increased risk with everything that's going on uh, in, in the world uh, right now. So so there is a trend among companies uh, that, that companies that previously might not have hedged their exposure, they are starting to do so uh, to some extent. Uh, and companies that are already hedging, uh, they're starting to to increase the size of their hedges. And they're, they're also, also starting to increase the number of currencies, uh, for example, that uh, that they hedge. And we should say something about interest rate hedging as well, I think. That's obviously a potentially very important area now in today's environment with inflation, with rising interest rates. What's going to happen on that front? What we are seeing is that companies clearly prefer floating rate debt 
looking at the share of corporate debt for these companies, which is at floating rate, you can say that 62% have less than half their debt at a fixed interest rate. So there is a majority who run with variable rate debt. And looking at the duration of the corporate debt, it's actually not that long. Uh, Two thirds of these 160 companies have a duration for their total debt of less than three years. So still looking at the point in time we are and what the developments might be looking into the future, they are running at fairly floating rate and fairly short term, I think you could describe it as. And and closing this uh, chapter on on hedging, uh, we can just round off by by saying that we also see that that some roughly 40% of companies, uh, they can hedge beyond their current debt maturity, uh, but only about half of companies actually do it. And very interestingly, we see that 77% of companies, they are able to modify, so to, to, uh, to, to modify their interest rate hedges before maturity. But again, only about half are actually using that possibility. So, so in these questions, there is a trend of, of you know companies being able to do it, but quite few, you could say, are actually doing so. And also looking at that activity, it, it, it's gone down compared with what we saw in 2016. The companies have become less active in, in sort of stretching the limits a bit in, in to what extent they are trying to manage their interest rate exposure. If we were to try <laughs> to, to, to get some clarity in this and, and, and try to, to summarize uh, what this uh, this year's survey has been all about, Johan. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea because we've had a lot of areas we've asked about and, and, and there are many, many big question marks and challenges in today's environment. But if, if, if you want to sum it all up, I, I think a good way to do it would be to say that geopolitics has become an issue in a big way. It's not really been on the agenda before. It's now clearly at the very top. Sustainability. We've talked about it a couple of times here. It will stay critical. Even though there might be temporary setbacks in terms of the gas crisis here in Europe, it, it, it's, it remains at the very top of the corporate agenda. It's becoming extremely important with whom you trade, as we saw from your earlier remarks on China and what the perceived risks and problems there are. And given the results that we see in the survey, I think it's pretty hard to understate the importance, at least from the, the corporate pr- perspective. Quite the contrary. Supply chains, very much in focus here. They will deglobalize, without a doubt. And it might be a, a pretty dramatic process, judging from what we've heard from the companies when we asked them now, uh, in the complete reversal of the process of globalization that we've had for 20 years. Inflation, I mean, nobody was surprised You'll be surprised that inflation is very, very central today. It is a big issue. But again, what we see here, judging from the company's answers, is that it might be clearly more of a problem for consumers and customers than for the companies. Time will tell. And finally, in summing all this up, risks overall are rising, but we're not seeing companies hedging substantially more compared with what they did in 2016 yet and i would add that yet because as you mentioned we are also hearing that companies seem to have intentions to increase their ambition level in this area so 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 i guess a pretty gloomy picture that we're painting here with the with the results from this this survey Uh, but but to try to be a bit practical and if I ask you the question that you want, how should you think about this? What should companies do? How should they, they, they view all of these different aspects? There are substantial challenges and uncertainties for sure. Uh, I don't think it's all going to be doom and gloom. We all know that sometimes there is a bit of a shock to the system needed to drive change and to actually give room for structural improvements. And I think this might turn out to be an example of that again. But 
taking the corporate perspective, as we always try to do, what should you think as a corporate about all this? I think let's sum it up in three points. Number one, are your financial policies right for this brave new world that we are in today? Is there something you need to change in terms of the rule book for what you can do and what you should do to stay on top of all the risks that you face? Number two, do you have a good financial setup for tomorrow's clearly less global footprint that you are likely to have? Is there something you need to change to tune in your financial aspects of what the business will need to look like tomorrow? And number three, are you protected from any potential extreme outcomes in this clearly more volatile world that we are in today? We know from before that companies have not been focusing so hard on those unlikely but very, very painful outcomes that can happen when there is greater volatility, more sort of taking for granted that things will stay robust and then focus on the operational efficiency and, 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 and getting the most out of what you have. And uh, what better way to uh, finish up, to give a little tease and flag our, our upcoming uh, Neum report? So the next uh, report uh, that we are uh, working on currently uh, will be about ongoing energy crisis. So the title will be Nordic Energy Supply, where we will have a, a deep dive into to, um, how does Nordic Energy Supply work? How does it connect to European energy uh, market? And uh, yeah, it should be of interest to pretty much everyone. Uh, both in a professional capacity as well as just uh, private curiosity. I think you are absolutely right. I mean, I think most mornings that I show up in the office these days, some colleagues says something about what the hourly cost of electricity has been during the night, depending on how much the wind was blowing. So we are very much there, all of us as individuals and consumers as well. Look forward to sharing the findings of that report with you all. And in the meantime, thank you for listening today. See you next time. (music) 